You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Late July 2016, Grovelands Park, West Molsey. At around midnight, a group of teenagers were in the park. Through the quiet night air came the voices of a group of males. They then heard footsteps coming their way. Emerging from the alleyway came three males, one of which the teens in the park recognised. He knew him as Shane, and the reason he knew him? Shane had punched him in the face a few weeks prior. The three walked towards the group and asked them if they had a spare cigarette. The group said they didn't. One of the three then laughed and told them, I wouldn't say anything if I were you, because we killed someone tonight. Today's case takes us to Walton in the UK, home to Scott Wilkinson. 48-year-old Scott was described as a gentle giant. He was someone who would do anything for anybody. As a child, he would often mess around with his brother Sean, and he shared a close relationship with his parents, David and Janet. His parents would later joke that although he enjoyed trying to fix cars, his attempts to do so would often leave the vehicle in a worse state than he found it. On one occasion, he had tried to fit a sunroof, but it had caused the water to pool, and every time the car turned, the passenger would be left soaked. He had previously been a lorry driver, but was forced to surrender his licence on medical grounds after suffering an injury working for a removal company. He had a heart condition that could sometimes trigger a seizure, so he had a monitor fitted to help cardiologists look at the data from his heart in relation to the seizures. He had been married twice and was a proud father, and for the past four years had been in a relationship with his partner Lisa. One of Scott's biggest passions was fishing, a love he shared with other members of his family. He found a great deal of peace in sitting by the bank of the river and watching the world go by, and since leaving work, he had more time to dedicate to fishing. He would frequently do solo trips to Sunbury Lock, known to locals as Donkey Island, opposite from the Weir pub. It's a place frequented by fishermen. It's quiet and peaceful, a little slice of heaven for someone wanting to spend some hours fishing and relaxing. He would be visited by his partner Lisa as well as friends who would drop off supplies for him, as he would happily spend several days or even weeks there. He would also occasionally sell small amounts of cannabis to other people using the island. Monday, the 25th of July, 2016. It was a warm and sunny day in Walton, and it was a day for Scott to do something he loved, go fishing. He set off to Donkey Island, and when he arrived, he found three tents were in his usual spot, but Scott didn't seem to mind and set up camp not far from them. As the hours ticked by, he'd started to fish, and everything seemed normal. Wednesday, the 27th of July, 2016. Scott's friend David went to visit him, and Scott told him he wasn't happy with the mess some people camping nearby were making. After hanging out for a while, David set off home, and told Scott he would be back to see him the next day, and that he would bring him a new gas canister for his stove. David also agreed that he would look after Scott's items while he prepared to go for a meeting at the job centre, and with that, David left. As the hours ticked by, Lisa also went to see Scott and take him some refreshments. Lisa was staying with David and David's wife. 
She also chatted briefly with the other people camping on the island. As the sun went down and darkness set in, Lisa decided to leave, so Scott walked her to the bridge that connected the island to the bank of the river. It was the only way on and off the island, and she was captured on CCTV leaving at 10.48pm. He said he would give her a call at 11.30 to wish her a good night and check that she got back to David's okay. At 11.18pm, someone who lived close to Donkey Island heard what he referred to as total chaos. For around 15 seconds, he could hear the voices of several men shouting back and forth. 11.30pm came and went, but Scott never called. Lisa tried calling him but couldn't get through, so figured he had simply fallen asleep and would be in contact tomorrow. As daylight broke and morning came, David fulfilled his promise and headed over to Donkey Island to give Scott a new gas canister. The moment he arrived, he knew something was desperately wrong. There was blood everywhere and no sign of Scott. He searched for his friend but could find no sign of him. Sorry, please. Good morning. How can I help? Hello. I went over to my friend Christian on Donkey Island this morning. Right, OK. When I got over there, he wasn't there. All his stuff has been moved and there was blood all over his tent. It looks like blood on his tent. Yeah, wait, wait. It's great. Right. I the hospital, but I can't get no answer from him. He said he didn't admit it or something. And what's his name? Uh, Scott Wilkinson. And do you know where he could be? Not a clue. He would never leave his business stuff unattended. 17 hours had now passed since anyone had heard from Scott. The police knew they needed to find him quickly as he was likely seriously injured given the amount of blood at the scene. A police helicopter was deployed to help search from the air. Lisa was beside herself with worry and was at the Weir pub, just across from the island, as she awaited any news. Just after 3pm, they made the discovery that everyone had been dreading. The body of Scott Wilkinson was found lying in shallow water by firefighters who had been drafted in to help in the search. They knew they needed to tell Scott's family as quickly as possible before they heard it from anyone else. There he's lying in the water. He's in full gear of the houses on the northern side of the shore. I wonder if we've got some sort of tarp to uh, shield him from view. My supervisor at the scene confirmed they're happy with me to pass the message to family. I would suggest we do let them know that, of course, not to discuss the extent of what we've got. One zero, I concur. And for attending unit, please bear in mind that the girlfriend needs garden of the weird public house with me. Thankfully, we're on the other side of the island. The island was sealed off and secured to give the crime scene examiners a chance to thoroughly inspect and look at everything, gathering as much evidence as possible. This was vital as, due to the nature of the area, there was a risk of the crime scene being contaminated due to the animals, water and dirt surrounding it. It became clear very quickly that this was not an accident. This was a murder inquiry. It was clear from the amount of blood and where it was that Scott had likely been either lying or sitting down when he had been attacked. As they continued to search the island, the police found something that immediately stood out as significant the other campsite. It had three tents and various personal effects, including toothbrushes and cigarette butts, that could hold vital DNA. These were sent away to be analysed, as were several cans that were found at the site. It had clearly been abandoned very recently. The police began to go door to door to try and gather information. Had someone seen something odd or heard something unusual? Opposite the island sat a row of houses. 
so this was the first place to start. Witnesses said it was not just Scott on the island camping. There had also been three males, three males who had not been seen since Scott had gone missing. These were the same three males that had been at the campsite when Lisa and David had visited Scott. Paddy Mears was leading the investigation from Surrey and Sussex's major crime team. He said he had never seen such appalling skull fractures before. Scott Wilkinson had suffered catastrophic head injuries. The hits to his head were so violent they had cut all the way down to the skull. He also had broken ribs, two black eyes and a ruptured spleen. He had been stamped on, punched and kicked. One thing his injuries did suggest was this had not been carried out by one person acting alone. Due to the nature of his injuries, it was believed that it was likely a piece of wood that had been used in the murder, but trying to find it was very difficult for the officers. The crime scene was in a wooded area, with loads of different bits of wood scattered around. Any that were deemed to be big enough were removed from the scene and sent away for analysis. Finding fingerprints on wood like that is challenging, so the officers and the crime scene examiners certainly had their work cut out for them. There was also a wound on Scott's arm, which was believed to have been caused by a knife. Crucially, Scott's knife that he had used for fishing was gone. Despite the extensive searches of the island, they could not find his knife anywhere, so the next thing to do was search the water. Expert underwater search teams were brought in and were given the painstaking task of searching the river. It was an incredibly difficult undertaking. Visibility in the water was very low, and the water had been disturbed by the numerous boats that used the river every day. Then, one of the divers emerged from the river, holding a long knife with a black handle. No fingerprints could be found, but as they awaited for any DNA to come back from it, the news came through that they had been waiting for. The brushes and cans that had been taken from the other campsite had provided three positive matches to males who were already known to the police. They were two teenagers and one man in his early 20s. They were all members of the same family. Shane Crort, his brother Lenny and their cousin Charlie Smith. The youngest, Lenny, was only 16 and had actually been reported missing after running away from a care home in Blackpool. Little did the police who were looking into Scott's murder know, other officers had only just been with them. The police had been to visit Down Street, where Lenny's family lived, to try and find him and take him back to the care home in Blackpool. When they arrived, the officers stopped Charlie Smith as he attempted to run out the back door. One of the officers said that everyone appeared to be very tired, with Shane nearly asleep on the sofa. When asked why he was so tired, he replied, I've only been asleep a couple of hours. Lenny was taken to a social services office, and then back up to Blackpool. Later that day, Charlie and Shane had also met up with Shane's girlfriend Leah and Leah's friend Kaylee. As they walked around and talked, Shane suddenly said something shocking. He said they had killed someone the night before by beating a man with a piece of wood before stealing a motorbike and fleeing the scene. Leah and Kaylee refused to believe them. Shane then pointed to the motorbike they had taken and tried to set on fire. Charlie confirmed that what Shane was saying was true. They had killed someone. I was there, he said. The investigators were hot on their tail. As the police were driving down the streets, they spotted Charlie, who attempted to run away, but they caught up to him, and the 21-year-old was put in handcuffs and taken into custody. Lenny, who was now back in the care of social services in Blackpool, seemingly like his cousin, just couldn't help himself but talk about it. He was in the gym with his key worker and said that Shane wouldn't be able to use equipment in prison. Puzzled, his key worker asked him what he meant. 
Lenny said that Shane had taken part in a murder, saying, We did do it. Just like Kaylee and Leah, the key worker didn't believe it and told him he shouldn't make jokes about things that were so serious. Lenny was later arrested in Blackpool, and Shane was also taken into custody. It was now time for them to be interviewed. It's been video recorded, so they've got the cameras in the corners, it's a soundproof room. Scott Wilkinson was found murdered on the afternoon of Thursday the 28th of July this year. Forensic evidence has linked you to that offence. From six o'clock in the evening onwards, last Wednesday the 27th of July, tell me where you were, Shane. No comment. What was your location? No comment. Who were you with? No comment. Tell me what happened, Shane. No comment. Lenny, were you in Walton-upon-Thames on Wednesday the 27th of July? No comment. Have you been there since that time? No comment. I want to talk about the weapon that was used to assault and kill and murder Scott. Describe that weapon to me. No comment. Where did that weapon come from, Shane? No comment. Who used that weapon? No comment. I believe that it was Lenny, Charlie and yourself who were in that area last week. Is that correct? No comment. Where did you go? No comment. Where did Charlie go? No comment. And Lenny, where did he go? No comment. Charlie then gave a prepared statement via his solicitor. I remember speaking to a man in his 40s. He said his name was Scott. We were speaking about fishing and the types of fish he was catching. Shane and Lenny were there. Shane put his fishing stuff in his tent. Then we decided to come back. All the fishing stuff was gone and the tents were turned over. They had been smashed up. When we got back, Scott was there on his own and said he hadn't seen what happened as he was asleep. He was helping Shane look for his fishing rods. I was speaking to Scott for a while. He was a really nice guy. About an hour later, I then left. Shane and Lenny also left and went in the opposite direction at the same time. I denied causing any harm to Scott and did not witness anyone else causing him any harm. After I left on Tuesday the 26th of July 2016 and have not returned to the river. Because with all these investigations, particularly a murder investigation... I just want to say one thing, I ain't no murderer, I messed the truth. Okay, do you know who's responsible for this? He said that they had decided to leave the island after a group of Irish travellers had turned up and started on Scott. There was no evidence of anyone else being on the island on the CCTV footage that covered the bridge, which was the only way on and off it. Charlie said he had then gone to stay at his sister's and that he hadn't been there on the 27th of July. Caroline, Charlie's sister, and her boyfriend, Kieran, backed Charlie up, saying he had been with them on the night of the murder. Several days after giving their statements, Kieran retracted his. He said he had got his dates wrong. Every question the police asked was met with no comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. As the interviews continued, the results from the wood that had been taken from the crime scene came back. They had no evidence on them. There was also no evidence on the knife that had been pulled from the river. The 4th of August, 2016. 
As there was not enough to charge the three of them, they were released pending further inquiries. Lisa was devastated, saying it felt like her soul had been ripped apart. Later that day, Charlie would tell a stranger what they had done. They seemed to believe that they were invincible and would not be caught, but they could not have been more wrong. This was just the beginning for the police and they were not going to stop in the search for justice, no matter how long it took. On the one-year anniversary of Scott's death, the police launched an appeal for more information. Scott Wilkinson was a 48-year-old local man whose passion was fishing. He used to attend this island, known locally as Donkey Island, to pursue his passion. He was last seen alive on Thursday, the 27th of July, 2016. I was subsequently reported missing by a friend on the 28th of July. Sadly, later that afternoon, Scott's body was found in the River Thames. Scott, a son, brother, father, grandfather, was dearly loved by all those that knew him. His family are still struggling to come to terms with Scott's death. I'm convinced that the answer lies within the community and urge, would urge anybody with any information at all to contact us. The police needed to carry on building their case. Charlie had said he wasn't on the island on the night of Scott's murder, so they needed to check whether that was true. The police tracked his phone movements and CCTV picked him up in a shop where he topped up his phone credit. He was then caught on another camera, riding a bike towards Donkey Island. As they continued to trawl through the footage, they found the three of them walking onto the island on Wednesday the 27th of July. The camera also picked up them filling their water bottles. This meant that when Charlie had said they had not gone back onto the island after Tuesday, he was lying. At around 9.30pm, Lisa was captured on CCTV footage from the Weir pub, heading towards the island. The camera picked up the head torch that Scott was wearing as he walked with Lisa to the footbridge, and at 10.59, she was seen walking away. Due to the quality of the security camera footage, it was incredibly difficult for the police to determine if the three of them had come off the island before Scott's murder, or after, but it did show that there was no one else on the island at that time, apart from Scott and the three accused. At 11.18pm, Scott's heart monitor recorded that his heart rate had increased, which was potentially consistent with an adrenaline drive caused by the attack, and with the help of this vital data, they were able to narrow down a time frame to look at, and they knew that it took roughly six minutes to walk from the campsite to the footbridge. And there it was, the evidence they had been hoping for. Footage of the three of them walking off the island having just attacked Scott and believing he was dead. Evidence from his heart monitor showed he had actually remained alive for several hours following the attack. By 2.30am, the readings were inconsistent with life. The three of them had then gone to the park where they had bragged about what they had done to the group of teenagers, showing them how they had kicked, punched and stamped on Scott. After being released, Charlie later told an associate of his named Peter that he had been involved in Scott's death. This was a conversation that Peter recorded and handed over to the police. This was evidence they could not believe they had. Peter was being investigated by the police for a separate offence, 
and so had recorded the conversation in the hopes of striking a deal. What Charlie said was damning. Well, why'd they do that fucking murder thing, anyway? The scumbag, proper scumbag. And then he was trying to start laying into the man. Then he got the knife cut out from there to there. And the shame. Well, he had a nail on a stick like that. I don't know what they told you. Mm-hmm. Nail on a stick like that, beating the man to him with it. July 17th, 2018. It had now been almost two years since the murder of Scott Wilkinson. Lenny Crort, Shane Crort and Charlie Smith were arrested on suspicion of murder again. What the fuck? Why am I being arrested again for this? As a result of the continued investigation into Scott's murder, we now have substantial new evidence that links you to his murder. You do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned something which you later rely on in court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. The police spoke to Shane about the statement given from those in the park who said they had bragged about what they had done. The area I want to concentrate on now is a place called Groveland's Park. Three witnesses, round about midnight of the same night of the murder, have come forward and given statements in relation to you, Lenny and Charlie, approaching them and you're starting to talk about what you've just done. The comment is, we just murdered someone. Who said that? They described being feeling intimidated by you three. Was it you who intimidated them? Lenny also had no comment to make. Is that you, Shane and Charlie, going to the park and talking about the murder? No comment. Is that Charlie Smith that was doing most of the talking? No comment. Do you remember that, Charlie? No comment. Is that you who said that? No comment. Remember that conversation with those three lads in Groveland's Park? No comment. Trap fucking shit, mate. Just making fucking shit up, mate. That's what you're doing. Can we stop the interview for a second, please? Yeah, but they're fucking making shit up, mate. It's fucked up, mate. Charlie, can we just stop the interview for... Despite them not cooperating, the police were yet to present one of their key pieces of evidence, the recording of Charlie talking about Scott's death. They knew that they were now backed into a corner and were hopeful that this would be the thing that would finally make them talk. This, we say, it's quite clear, details your involvement and others in the murder of Scott Wilkinson. And I'll tell you who the voices are, but you may well recognise them. Why would they do that? Like The police were eventually able to piece together a timeline leading up to Scott's murder. By the time Scott had arrived at Donkey Island, Lenny, Shane and Charlie were already there. They were in Scott's usual spot, but he didn't seem to mind and set up his camp a few metres away. On either Monday or Tuesday, they purchased some cannabis from Scott. One paid in cash and another said he would pay him on Thursday. 
On Tuesday the 26th of July, Lenny, Shane and Charlie went back to Lenny and Shane's mother's house on Down Street to change their clothes and grab some food. When they returned to the campsite, their equipment had gone. They said they had asked Scott where their stuff was, but Scott said he had no idea. They then went back to Down Street and spoke to their father, Jake. Jake was not happy as at least one of the rods that had gone missing belonged to him. Charlie said that Jake made it clear to his sons they had better not have lost his things. Charlie also said that Jake had then got on his motorbike and gone down to Donkey Island. He had searched with Scott for the items and they eventually found them in one of the abandoned buildings close to the campsite. After Lisa left the campsite the following evening, they had proceeded to attack Scott before leaving the island and fleeing the scene. The day after Scott's murder, Charlie and Shane had tried to go back to the island, potentially to destroy some evidence, but the area was crawling with the police and there were cordons up everywhere, so they quickly left. They had also made an attempt to burn their clothes. They continued not to comment on any of the questions put to them, but it made no difference. Lenny Court, Shane Court and Charlie Smith were finally charged with murder. While they were remanded in custody, Shane had made a series of calls to his mother. He told her that Charlie was being targeted and bullied by other inmates in prison. He also said he didn't care about Charlie. He was more concerned about Lenny and getting him out. Kieran, who had provided Charlie with an alibi, would later admit that he and Charlie's sister Caroline had lied to the police. Lenny Court was the youngest of the three. He had only just turned 16 years old. He was one of six and had been in the care of social services after being removed from the family home over issues of neglect. In eight years, he would live in nine different counties. On the 20th of July, he had absconded from the residence he was staying at in Blackpool. He had been on Donkey Island with his brother and cousin to avoid being caught and returned to Blackpool. His older brother Shane had left the foster care system and was living with their mother. He was described as being the ringleader of the group by a witness who had seen them on the night of the murder. Lenny and Shane did have previous convictions for battery and records from the care system indicated there were concerns about Shane being a bad influence over his younger brother. Their upbringings were described as fractured and toxic. Their cousin Charlie was of no fixed address and was known to embellish things, being referred to as all mouth and no trousers. He also had a criminal record with convictions for threatening criminal damage and being in possession of a knife. In 2014, he had entered a plea of guilty to robbery and was given a sentence of 12 months imprisonment to be suspended for two years. On September 21st, 2018, they all appeared at Guildford Crown Court and entered pleas of not guilty. The trial date was set. February the 4th, 2019. Throughout, Charlie had someone sit with him in the dock that could explain the procedures to him and what was going on. After providing no comment during their interviews, the accused suddenly turned on each other, desperately trying to shift the blame onto someone else and away from themselves. Shane said that Charlie had tried to give Scott some money for cannabis from the night before and that Scott had become violent. He said, I was scared, so I got up and punched him. Then after I punched him, he punched me back and I pushed him. He stumbled back and picked something up. I saw once he started waving it around, it was a knife. I stepped back to get out of the way. Then out of nowhere, Charlie came. Then Charlie hit Scott in the arm with something and hit him again. 
Charlie's account was very different. When he gave evidence, he was described as talking quickly, like a machine gun, and moved around a lot in the box. He said that Scott had taken the fishing equipment from them the day before, but then given it back. He said they went to his tent to buy some cannabis, and out of nowhere, Shane used a piece of wood to beat Scott. He used both hands like he was playing baseball, he said. He started laughing. Him and Lenny were laughing at each other. It was crazy. It was disgusting. He just kept smacking him and smacking him and smacking him. I didn't think he was like that. He's my cousin. He added that Lenny had cut Scott's arm with a knife. It wasn't self-defense or nothing like that. They should own up for what they've done instead of making us go through this shit, he said. He explained to the court that he had not told the truth before because he didn't want to tell on members of his family and that he was scared of them. He added that he had been set upon by two men at the hands of Shane and Lenny and that these two men had broken both his legs and threatened him to keep quiet. This was later called into question when it emerged that paramedics had visited him and he found his injuries funny, saying that he had been attempting parkour and that was how he had become injured. Lenny didn't testify, but it was put forward that he had been stood by the tent when Scott was attacked and he had seen nothing. Three totally different accounts all attempting to absolve themselves in one way or another. As they sat in the dock, it was evident that the seriousness of the situation was lost on the three accused, with Lisa later saying, I went to the trial and felt like killing those boys myself as they smirked and smiled throughout the whole thing. There was a point when the judge asked them to take things seriously as they were just showing absolutely no remorse. It was disgusting. As part of the trial, the jury were taken to the site of Scott's murder, This would help them put the accounts they were hearing into the context of the space and see exactly where Scott's life had been ended that night. The brutality that Scott had been subjected to was shocking for those in court. Pathologist Dr Richard Chapman had performed over 12,000 autopsies over the course of his career, including one for Diana, Princess of Wales. He said that severe force had been used to inflict the injuries to Scott's head and detailed the other injuries to his body, including broken ribs, two black eyes, and massive amounts of bruising. In spite of him remaining alive for a few hours after the attack, the damage to his skull and brain was so extensive and severe, no amount of medical intervention could have helped him. Dr Chapman said his injuries were similar to ones one would expect to find in someone who had been in a car wreck. Scott's parents, David and Janet, stoically attended every day of the trial, and sat in the public gallery as the evidence of what had happened to their son was put before the court. On the 6th of March, the jury retired to consider their verdicts. After two years of investigating, hundreds of man-hours, thousands of hours of CCTV footage, 1,800 exhibits in evidence, 4,000 addresses visited in house-to-house inquiries, and a trial lasting five weeks, the verdict finally came in two days later. Charlie Smith was acquitted of murder, but was convicted of manslaughter. Shane and Lenny Crort were found guilty of murder. Following the verdicts, prosecutor Helen Elwood said that the three convicted had sought to blame each other for the savage attack on a man who just wanted to enjoy peace and quiet and his passion for fishing. She added that each one of them had played a part, regardless of who it was that had landed the fatal blow that ultimately ended Scott's life. As Shane and Lenny had been under the age of 18 when they had murdered Scott, their minimum term would start at 12 years in custody. 
both received a sentence of life in prison with a minimum term of 15 years. Charlie Smith was sentenced to 13 years in prison. The judge said, The three of you left the island without checking how badly he was hurt and without alerting the emergency services. He was placed into the River Thames and left to die alone. He added that it was clear there had been a significant amount of premeditation. It is quite clear the three of you discussed how the combined attack was to be carried out. Detective Inspector Paddy Mears, who had led the investigation, said, The sentences given today reflect the severity of the ferocious actions these three took that night back in 2016. In a statement, Scott's family said, We exist, we function, we go through life in a robotic state, hurting deeply within our soul, crying inside and yearning for some solace, which never comes. We will never recover. We will never find peace in a world without Scott. We will never be the same again and we will never forgive those responsible. One of Scott's children said most people hold on to childhood memories of their father. Before the vicious and senseless action of that night, I would think of these childhood memories whenever people would talk about their fathers. They have destroyed those memories. Shane and Lenny were sent to High Down Prison and their cells were two apart from each other. On the 1st of May 2020, Lenny was told he was going to be moved to a different prison, away from Shane, which had left Lenny very upset. He had threatened to harm himself as a result. Nevertheless, he was moved. May 16th, 2020, 5.40am. Officers were doing their checks at Aylesbury Young Offenders Institution when they came to Lenny Court's cell. He was found to be unresponsive and later pronounced dead. His death was not being treated as suspicious. An inquest later found that he had taken his own life between 3 and 5.30am. A prisons and probation ombudsman report said there had been a failure to identify him as a suicide risk. Throughout the investigation, one thing remained a mystery. The motive. One possible motive proposed was that they believed he had moved their belongings, so they had attacked him in revenge. Another theory is that they had wanted to buy more cannabis and pay him back later, but he had refused. But the truth is, we will likely never know. Lisa said, I'll never stop blaming myself or hating those boys for what they did to my Scott. It was a mindless act of violence and has left his family and I utterly heartbroken. She added, because we always used to kiss each other goodbye. This time we just didn't. But Scott knew I loved him and he loved me. So I don't think we needed to kiss each other to say that. Scott Wilkinson was a gentle giant. When he left to go fishing on that bright summer's morning... Nobody could have predicted the senseless violence that would be carried out against him. He was minding his own business, hurting nobody, and just doing what he loved to do. It's often hard to find the words to end a case like this, but this is perhaps best done by listening to the words of Scott's parents. Scott was a loving, affectionate and caring son, brother, father, grandfather, nephew and partner. The knowledge of the circumstances of Scott's death are an unbearable burden, which we will have to carry for the rest of our lives. Our memories of him, however, will outshine those horrendous events which took place on that small island in the Thames. Whilst we are happy with the outcome in court, today is not the end of the grief we feel. It is a step, another step forward without him. <laughs>